Chapter Four of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Four. Frederick Glenmurray was a man of family and of a small independent estate, which, in case he died without children, was to go to the next male heir, and to that heir it was certain it would go, as Glenmurray, on principle, was an enemy to marriage and consequently not likely to have a child born in wedlock. It was an unfortunate circumstance for Glenmurray that with the ardour of a young and inexperienced mind he had given his eccentric opinions to the world as soon as they were conceived and arranged, as he, by so doing, prejudiced the world against him in so unconquerable a degree that to him almost every door and every heart was shut and he, by that means, excluded from every chance of having the errors of his imagination corrected by the arguments of the experienced and enlivened, and corrected, no doubt they would have been, for he had a mild and candid spirit, and a mind open to conviction. I consider myself, he used to say, as a skeptic, not as a man really certain of the truth of anything which he advances. I doubt of all things, because I look upon doubt as the road to truth, and do but convince me what is the truth, and at whatever risk, whatever sacrifice, I am ready to embrace it. But alas, neither the blamelessness of his life, nor even his active virtue, assisted by the most courteous manners, were deemed sufficient to counteract this mischievous tendency of his works, or rather it was supposed impossible that his life could be blameless, and his seeming virtue sincere, and unheard, unknown, this unfortunate young man was excluded from those circles which his talents would have adorned, and forced to lead a life of solitude, or associate with persons unlike to him in most things, except in a passion for the bold in theory, and the most impossible in practice. Of this description of persons he soon became the oracle, the head of a sect, as it were, and those tenets which at first he embraced, and put forth more for amusement than from conviction, as soon as he began to suffer on their account, became as dear to him as the cross to the Christian martyr, and deeming persecution a test of truth, he considered the opposition made to him and his doctrines, not as the result of dispassionate reason striving to correct absurdity, but as selfishness and fear endeavoring to put out the light which showed the weakness of the foundation on which were built their claims to exclusive respect. When Mrs. Mowbray and Adeline first arrived at Bath, the latter had attracted the attention and admiration of Colonel Mordaunt, an Irishman of fortune, and an officer in the guards, and Adeline had not been insensible to the charms of a very fine person and engaging manners, united to powers of conversation which displayed an excellent understanding improved by the education and reading. But Colonel Mordaunt was not a marrying man, as it is called. Therefore, as soon as he began to feel the influence of Adeline growing too powerful for his freedom, and to observe that his attentions were far from unpleasing to her, too honorable to excite an attachment in her which he was resolved to combat in himself, he resolved to fly from the danger which he knew he could not face and overcome. And after a formal but embarrassed adieu to Mrs. Mowbray and Adeline, he suddenly left Bath. This unexpected departure both surprised and grieved Adeline, 
but as her feelings of delicacy were too strong to allow her to sigh for a man who evidently had no thoughts of sighing for her she dismissed colonel mordaunt from her remembrance and tried to find as much interest still in the ballrooms and the promenades as his presence had given them nor was it long before she found them an attraction and an interest stronger than any which she had yet felt it is naturally to be supposed that adeline had often wished to know personally an author whose writings delighted her as much as glenmurray's had done and that her fancy had often portrayed him but though it had clothed him in a form at once pleasing and respectable still from an idea of his superior wisdom she had imagined him past the meridian of life and not likely to excite warmer feelings than those of esteem and veneration and such continued to be adeline's idea of glenmurray when he arrived at bath having been sent thither by his physicians for the benefit of his health glenmurray though a sense of his unpopularity had long banished him from scenes of public resort in general was so pleased with the novelties of bath that though he had walked wholly unnoticed except by the lovers of genius in whatsoever shape it shows itself he frequented daily the pump-room and the promenades and adeline had long admired the countenance and dignified person of this young and interesting invalid without the slightest suspicion of his being the man of all others whom she the most wished to see nor had glenmurray been slow to admire adeline and so strong so irresistible was the feeling of admiration which she had excited in him that as soon as she appeared all other objects vanished from his sight and as women are generally quick-sighted to the effect of their charms adeline never beheld the stranger without a suffusion of pleasurable confusion on her cheek one morning at the pump-room when glenmurray unconscious that adeline was near was reading the newspaper with great attention and adeline for the first time was looking at him unobserved she heard the name of glenmurray pronounced and turned her head towards the person who spoke in hopes of seeing glenmurray himself when mrs mowbray turning round and looking at the invalid said to a gentleman next to her did you say sir that that tall pale dark interesting-looking young man is mr glenmurray the celebrated author yes ma'am replied the gentleman with a sneer that is mr glenmurray the celebrated author oh how i should like to speak to him cried mrs mowbray it will be no difficult matter replied her informant the gentleman is always quite as much at leisure as you see him now for all persons have not the same taste as mrs mowbray so saying he bowed and departed leaving mrs mowbray to whom the sight of a great author was new so lost in contemplating glenmurray that the sarcasm with which he spoke entirely escaped her observation nor was adeline less abstracted she too was contemplating glenmurray and with mixed but delightful feelings so then he is young and handsome too she said mentally it is a pity he looks so ill added she sighing but the sigh was caused rather by his looking so well though adeline was not conscious of it by this time glenmurray had observed who were his neighbors and the newspaper was immediately laid down is there any news to-day said mrs mowbray to glenmurray resolved to make a bold effort to become acquainted with him glenmurray with a bow and a blush of mingled surprise and pleasure replied that there was a great deal and immediately presented to her the paper which he had relinquished setting chairs at the same time for her and adeline mrs mowbray however only slightly glanced her eye over the paper her desire was to talk to glenmurray and in order to accomplish this point and prejudice him in her favor 
she told him how much she rejoiced in seeing an author whose works were the delight and instruction of her life speak adeline cried she turning to her blushing daughter do we not almost daily read and daily admire mr glenmurray's writings yes certainly replied adeline unable to articulate more awed no doubt by the presence of so superior a being while glenmurray more proud of being an author than ever said internally is it possible that the sweet creature should have read and admired my works but in vain encouraged by the smiles and even by the blushes of adeline did he endeavor to engage her in conversation adeline was unusually silent unusually bashful but mrs mowbray made ample amends for her deficiency and mr glenmurray flattered and amused would have continued to converse with her and look at adeline had he not observed the impertinent sneers and rude laughter to which conversing so familiarly with him exposed mrs mowbray as soon as he observed this he arose to depart for glenmurray was according to rochefoucault's maxim so exquisitely selfish that he always considered the welfare of others before his own and heroically sacrificing his own gratification to save mrs mowbray and adeline from further censure he bowed with the greatest respect to mrs mowbray sighed as he paid the same compliment to adeline and lamenting his being forced to quit them so soon with evident reluctance left the room what an elegant bow he makes exclaimed mrs mowbray adeline had observed nothing but the sigh and on that she did not choose to make any comment the next day mrs mowbray having learned glenmurray's address sent him a card for a party at her lodgings nothing but glenmurray's delight could exceed his astonishment at this invitation he had observed mrs mowbray and adeline even before adeline had observed him and as he gazed upon the fascinating adeline he had sighed to think that she too would be taught to avoid the dangerous and disreputable acquaintance of glenmurray to him therefore this mark of attention was a source both of consolation and joy but being well convinced that it was owing to her ignorance of the usual customs and opinions of those with whom she associated he was too generous to accept the invitation as he knew that his presence at a rout at bath would cause general dismay and expose the mistress to disagreeable remarks at least but he endeavored to make himself amends for his self-denial by asking leave to wait on them when they were alone End of chapter four recording by pam moscato